This is Thinking Freely with the ACLU of Maryland, the show that talks about what's happening politically in Maryland from the courts to the streets. I'm your host, Amber Taylor. When we think about mass incarceration and criminal justice reform, women are seldom a part of the conversation. Our prison system was designed to incarcerate men, yet the issues and disparities that women in prison face are different. For example, women are twice as likely to be incarcerated for a nonviolent offense, and Black women are twice as likely to be incarcerated than white women. Most of these women are mothers, and 75% of them are the primary or sole caretaker of loved ones. Their incarceration tears families apart and has catastrophic impacts in our communities. For Women's History Month, we wanted to highlight issues facing incarcerated women. The majority of women who are incarcerated will be coming back home, and when they do, they will face enormous barriers to a successful transition like finding housing and employment. That's why a dedicated pre-release facility would help women adjust back into our communities. Maryland women have zero minimum security pre-release facilities. Men have nine. It's unfair that women do not have nearly the same access to re-entry services that men do. This is a women's rights and equality issue. Today we'll be joined by Kiana Johnson, the executive director of Life After Release, to talk about why women need a dedicated pre-release facility in Maryland and what people can do to support women exiting the criminal legal system. Well, Kiana, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Thinking Freely. You're welcome. Um, you know, we wanted to just really start off this conversation by talking about um, what's it like for women who are exiting the criminal legal system? You know, what was it like to transition home for you? Well, it's different across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to talk about Maryland. Uh, first, I think it's important to know that Maryland only has one prison in the entire state for women, which means that it doesn't matter if you are minimum or maximum security, you are housed at the MCIW location. Um, that's important to know because uh, you have to transition from there, no matter if you live in Prince George's County, Eastern Shore, Salisbury, Eastern Maryland, Western Maryland, doesn't matter what part of Maryland you are from, where you actually live, uh, you have to be housed in Jessup, Maryland at this one location, which means that when it's time to transition home, it's a little, it's a lot difficult because if you have the option to go into uh, pre-release status and go on to work release, then you have a job um, if you choose to work, but then you have to come home home where you live and even if you have a job while you are incarcerated when you come home you won't be able to still have that job so it's it's just really difficult um for me particularly uh you know I stayed with family um for a year after my release and then I was able to uh, obtain my own place but it was it was pretty difficult um even with having family support coming home um getting my son enrolled back in school, uh, getting both of my children back into my care, finding a job, doing all these things were, was was difficult. And actually, you know, can you expand on that? So what were some of your um, worries and also some of your hopes when you transitioned back to the community? My, my biggest worry was the um, way people would receive me. Um, coming back home, I lost a lot of friends. I lost, uh, you know, just 
the whole experience was very traumatic in and of itself and um, very shameful um, to have to come back home and, and be, you know, with my children and with my family. So it was very, um, it was very difficult. I like to tell people that there are different levels of, um, there's different levels of like acceptance when people go to prison. So like if a man goes to prison, um, it's socially acceptable for, for males in this society to kind of go to prison. However, for women, uh, it is not socially acceptable. When men go to prison, they have their mama, their baby's mama, their grandmama, every, all the mamas step up to help them, um, and to support them and to help them transition and to give them whatever it is that they need. However, when the mama goes away, there's very little, um, care or regards for her, even socially. Um, so there is, there's that added element to, um, not only having a transition, but having a transition as a woman, um, is very, is very different. Actually, what are some of the unique issues that women face when they are, um, when they're coming back home that men don't have to face? So 80% of the women who are incarcerated are mothers, um, and they're primary caretakers of children or of an uh, adult family member. Um, they're the backbones to their communities. So uh, the unique differences are just that, that they have, um, it's not only themselves uh, that they have to get acclimated back into society, but then it's their children. Um, from the moment that I walked through the MCIW doors, my children were waiting for me and they've been in my care ever since. So it wasn't like, um, and they have a dad, their dad's around. As a matter of fact, their dad and I was locked up at the same time. Um, I, he was for, I was locked up for two years and he, their dad was locked up for a year of my two. So for one whole year, my children were basically orphaned. And to, when they came home, they didn't go stay with daddy. They went to go stay with mommy. And so, um, there's, there's that whole element of, you know, daddy got to go home. Daddy got to go to a halfway house. Daddy got to get himself together. Daddy got to, you know, work on himself. But when mommy came home, it was, Hey mom, I'm here. I, I need school supplies. I need to eat. I need to, um, go with my friends. So not only am I reacclimating myself, but then I then as a mother, now have to reacclimate my children to society in a way that is different because, you know, when when children have to go through school and they have different PTA functions and things and they're used to seeing their mother and they don't see anyone, they have to go through telling people or not telling people. Either way, is traumatic for them that their parent is incarcerated. Both of their parents are incarcerated. So um, having to to have that very difficult conversation and having to now immediately resume. There isn't no, there isn't a, a, um, a, like a care facility that my children can go to while I, you know, reacclimate, you know, and, or step down back into society. I have to do that alongside of my children. And that is the, you, the most um, unique difference between per, uh, parental and maternal incarcerations. Actually, you know, can you just walk me through like, you know, first like week or so, what's it like to be back, you know, coming back home when, you know, you're, you're locked up at, um, in Jessup? 
So the first week was very so real. Um, you know, the first thing you want to do is to get new clothes because you're probably you're probably not the same size you were when you went in, when you came when you come home. Um, they probably want to eat your favorite foods, which I did. Um, uh, of course, get get your children, um, get clothing, and just kind of like you know, for the first week for me, it was just you know, my mom was fortunate enough to just say, you know, here's your space, here's your room, you know, just don't worry about anything, just you know, try to get your you know get yourself back together. But for me, it was like reactivating my Facebook account and, um, you know, making some phone calls, uh, because I'm still fighting my case. I called my attorney, uh, you know, you have to get your legal matters in order. You have to go see a parole and probation officer, um, you know, which in, in the state of Maryland and Prince George's County, you do not get any type of funds to do so. So any, you have to find a way, uh, to get on public transportation. There is no program that helps me get from uh, Southern Prince George's County to Upper Marlboro or uh, Prince George's County. There's no, there's no bus or there's no special program. The things that people think are um, like, I think people just think they're systematic, but they're really, they're really not. So you have to go see a parole probation officer. And I didn't have my license at the time, so I couldn't drive, even though there was a car available to me, my mom had to go to work. So luckily I had a sister who was a stay-at-home mom that could take me. But, you know, uh, those were the troubles of getting home and just, you know, getting myself, you know, going to the MBA and going down to social services and going to my son's school. So like, you know, getting yourself back in order to return. So, you know, what's a pre-release facility? Why, why is it important? So a pre-release facility is ultimately important. And I just want to say that, you know, um, I toggled for a while back and forth with this as an abolitionist going through um, the thought process of um, a pre-release facility, not a prison, um, you know, or pre-release center, uh, not a jail, because uh, I do not, as an abolitionist, I do not want to be you know, anyone to think that this, we're asking for a new jail. And actually, what, can you just talk to me, what, you know, what do you mean when you say abolitionist? So what, as an abolitionist, I believe that the system is working exactly how it was designed to work and that that system, which includes um, uh, jails and policing, needs to be abolished, removed and replaced with something that is more um, along the lines that is humanistic and that will help us grow as a society. So when I say abolitionist, uh, if I can just name a few abolitionists throughout history, Harriet Tubman was one of them. Ida B. Wells was another. Um, so those, when I they believed that slavery should be abolished. There was any, any it wasn't any part of slavery that they thought should remain. Um, it wasn't like, okay, uh, I just want, you know, some slaves to be, or if you're a bad person, then you need to be a slave. No, slavery should be abolished uh, completely. However, we have the 13th Amendment now that has allowed slavery to um, still be alive through the criminal justice, criminal legal system. And so we have um, imprisonment in cages uh, become our form of modern day slavery. So to say that I'm an abolitionist is to... Um, say that I don't believe that prisons should be existing. So I'm just saying, you know, um, as far as the pre-release center, I want 
folks to first understand that I'm not here um, by any means to advocate for the building of a new prison or new jail. Um, what I am here for is asking for a pre-release center. And in my mind, it would be sort of like a step-down facility, a wellness center, if you would, uh, for women to incubate uh, themselves for a period of time uh, to be able to slowly matriculate back into society. It's very important to understand that. Um, just think about it like a goldfish. If you ever got a goldfish from um, a carnival, and I've had several, and that was like my highlight. Go get go to the carnival and get a, a goldfish. Um, the goldfish has it comes in a, a a bag, and it has room. It's like at a, a temperature of water. And if you don't sit that bag in a a a, a, a the bowl of water that it's going to be living in, and have it kind of sit there for a little while, if you just pour that fish into that water, it's going to die because it's going to be shocked by going from that one environment into the other environment where the climates are a little different. So if you think about a pre-release center, the pre-release center is basically that process of putting that fish um, that's in that bag of water into another water so that it can acclimate itself, so that it can get used um, to being in society, so that it can get used to taking a metro. It could get, you know, their children can come for some days, they can get used to their children and start to, you know, while they're still getting themselves together, um, their children still go back home and then they, you know, they are able to still go to social services. They are able to get um, um, tokens or metro cards and things that they needed. They get able to get full case management services. Um, more people are allowed into the facility to help and to do trainings and to do um, these things that will, you know, will better help the women get acclimated instead of just taking them and just throwing them back into society and saying, here, look go do this, go do this thing and do it well from legislators and from um, as it relates to policy and, and, and legislation for women to have a pre-release center or have the opportunity to have this center to um, go back into society. There's just no, there's just no regard for it. Um, again, individuals in this state feel as though um, if they don't talk about it, then it doesn't they don't have to worry about it. And so they just been doing a very good job since 2009 when the um, pre-release center for women BPRW closed down, um, you know, for budgetary concerns. And as a matter of fact, I didn't know that when I was on the inside writing letters to Elijah Cummins and to other folks talking about this very issue, that there was a fight on the outside that was happening. So as soon as I came home and was able to join that fight, it was so real for me because these were the same things that I would write, that I would write um, people and tell them about on the inside, but I didn't know that people were actually fighting on the outside. So, And actually, you know, right now, the General Assembly is in session. This is the time period in which for 90 days, um, Maryland legislators come together to pass laws um, that affect Marylanders, you know, everyday lives. One of the many bills that they're working on are pre-release bills. Can you mm -hmm. tell me what those bills would do? So the pre-release bill would be the the law, if you would have it, that would require the state of Maryland to operate at all times a pre-release center, a separate brick-and-mortar pre-release center for women. You know, Kiana, I think it's really sad that we have to legislate things like this. 
by requiring the Commissioner of Corrections to operate a pre-released unit for women, making sure that we have a clear definition about what a pre-released unit for women is, and providing women with the evidence-based gender-responsive services that help women with job training, education, treatments, and family unification. It's just not right. And the reason why it's important to put that into legislation, because as you can see, there was a pre-release center for women at one point, but because there was no law in place, the warden and her leadership at the time decided that they could cut cost by eliminating this pre-release center and doing whatever else with the funds. We don't know. Um, and because it sure wasn't getting tampon or getting um, sanitary napkins or getting toilet paper um, or food. So I don't know where exactly the money was going to go to that they needed to cut this budget. But they did that. And in, you know, without any real regards uh, to or having to answer to anyone or any policy that says that they had to operate one. So even with the announcement that uh, Governor Hogan has made in reference to having a new co-ed facility uh, where it would be um, both men and women would reside there. Aside from it being just not a good thing to do, it would be circumventing what it is that we're asking for. And it would also, um, I think it's kind of like hijack the legislation because what the lawmakers need to be smart enough to understand and to know, which I'm sure most of them are, is that they should not disregard this legislation just because there's hopes or plans for a co-ed, uh, co-ed uh, facility because they could change their mind and then there will be no legislation that would hold them accountable to um, to making sure that this legislation goes through. I think it was very brilliant of the administration to make this announcement when they did to confuse and to complicate and make this whole issue a conundrum of, um, of, of issues. Uh, so I just wanted to just name that regardless whether there's a co-edit facility coming down the pipeline or not, this legislation is the, the vehicle that will require the state to have a pre-release center at all times. Can you expound a little bit more about why it's a bad idea um, to have a co-ed um, pre-release facility? So, inherently, women commit different types of crimes than men. Women are in prison for um, crimes of poverty, crimes of um, self-defense, and uh, human trafficking, um, things of those na- of that nature. So when you're talking about a woman who's been traumatized by a man, um, whether she's been human trafficked by a man or she's been molested by a man or she's been beaten by a man, um, to, again, shock her system and have her going from 10 years, uh, let's just say she was incarcerated for 10 years, and it's time for her to go to the pre-release center within her um, 18 months to her release. And you put her in a pre-release center with a man. There's a whole lot of things going on there. Um, so we don't necessarily think that that's a good idea. Uh, they tried that, um, co-opted 
uh, option for education purposes. And they had to shut that down several times because the women uh, were, um, you know, were, were being sexualized by the men. They were being um, pressured by the men. Um, some of them were being, uh, you know, forced into sexual activities with the men. Um, there was rumors that the women were getting pregnant while they were going over there. Um, and then they just shut it down. So to avoid what could be a very um, unwanted situation, uh, let's just keep it separate. Um, let us get one. And if so, if you choose to have a, a co-edit one later on down the line, after we get one state-of-the-art op- uh, opportunity or pre-release center, then so be it. But let the women have a choice whether or not they want to be forced to be around and in space with um, someone who may look like a person that harmed them. You know, it may be someone who was in prison for harming their wife. And, you know, it's just too traumatic for, for a woman to be in a situation with a man in a pre-release center. And also, Kiana, can you talk to me about why it's important to have uh, a pre-release facility close to the communities where women are coming from or, or and also returning to? Because Maryland is a pretty big state. Um, you have, you can go from here and drive two hours out, three hours, you know, almost four hours to Ocean City. Um, and then, you know, from here to Prince George's County is about an hour and 20 minutes, depending on what part of Prince George's County you're in. So when you're talking about um, a pre-release center and you're putting me, a woman who has been born in D.C. and raised in Prince George's County, and you're putting me in a, in a pre-release center that's in Baltimore, well, I'll, I'll be very happy or I would have been happy to be able to experience a pre-release center at all. Um, again, we're talking about getting a job and having to meet curfews and things of that nature. So I would have to get a job that would be in Baltimore. The likelihood of me being able to keep that job 18 months later will be very hard for me because I now have to go home to Prince George's County and find employment there. And if that place isn't a place where I can transfer to, then that wouldn't um, that wouldn't work. Then you're talking about the social services for the women. If I go to Bal- if I live in Baltimore for 18 months in a pre-release center and I get social services then I'm going to have to go and redo those social services in the county in which I live because I don't really, I have to go and switch everything over. So it's kind of a false, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing, but it's a false start because you have to redo everything when you get back to your county where you live. And, you know, Kiana, can you tell me about what do you really want people to know about incarcerated women? You know, why so is, why is, is it so important to support these women? Because, again, we are maternal. Um, We are a large part of our communities. Uh, There are women who are, um, you know, nursing their babies from prison. Um, And that goes to show that a a child can't get milk from their father. A child can't get milk from their grandmother. Um, It's the mothers who are the nourishers and the um, backbones. As messed up or as imperfect as their lives may be to have them um, land in, in incarcerated in some households, they're the only solace that people, you know, their children know. So 
what I want people to know about incarcerated women is that we're human beings, first and foremost. A lot of us are mothers, a lot of grandmothers incarcerated. So what I want folks to know is that when you incarcerate a woman, you incarcerate an entire community um, of folks. So I need folks to understand that there is a different level of, um, of harm that is caused when a woman is separated from her children and when a woman is separated from her community. When you do that, you're now affecting a future generation of, of, um, of folks and that goes, it continues to uh, duplicate itself within the community. So I want people to know that we have to start caring for our women, providing for our women and girls, and making space for them to be, um, to be great. We have uh, a very high drug problem with our women. Um, and we need to address that. A lot of the women who come home from Jessup, MCIW, are, are ODing. Um, there's a special page on Facebook called um, 535 Angels. It's a group, it's a closed group for um, women who are um, recovering addicts for, that, are, that have come from Jessup that are supporting one another. And they post the pictures of women who pass on every time it happens. And it was so sad and it makes me so sad to see those pictures. I'm a part of that group. Um, they allowed me to be because I'm an advocate, not because I'm, you know, an addict, but I'm appreciative because they're very protective in that group. And I'm appreciative that they allowed me to be a part of it because they know that I'm an ally to them and that I would help them advocate. So what I, what I want to advocate for them in this moment and in this space is to let folks know that, in MCIW in 2016, the therapeutic drug program, six-month drug program, was shut down and um, was never replaced. So there is no comprehensive drug treatment inside of jail as it used to be. I think it was ran by either Phoenix or, or Genesis or some someplace like that, Rise in Phoenix, but they couldn't hold the contract any longer. So those women are... Um, as soon as they come home, they're using, or some of them are using inside, suboxins and other things. And then when they come home, their body um, can't tolerate the drugs, the, the um, drugs that are on the street, and they OD almost within a year of being home. So this is not something that's been widely talked about. Um, so we, you know, we want to just know that the women, we need a different type of support and a different type of um, compassion from this society when we return home. And actually, are there any other uh, forms of support? You mentioned two, but there are there any other things that, you know, regular citizens can do to support women who are uh, returning home? Uh, you can reach out to me at Life After Release if you're in Prince George's County. And um, if you're in Baltimore, you can reach out to uh, Maryland Justice Project or Out for Justice uh, to be able to sign up as to become members um, so that you can support. Uh, we need strong allies in this work. Um, if you are, you know, if you're in a legal field, we need um, lawyers to step up to help us with um, different, you know, different issues. 
Um, we also need, of course, there, we, there, I, t- I accept hygiene products at my office um, so that you can always drop off. If you're in Baltimore, you can drop it off at uh, OFJ uh, at 1400 Federal Street. And then if you're in Prince George's County, you can drop those items off at uh, 4710 Auth Place um, in Prince George's County. If you want to contact me, you can um, go to lifeafterrelease.org. But there's just so many ways. Um, of course, you can donate to either organization. Um, there's just so many. We could become a mentor. Uh, you can, um, you know, offer to, to offer services for childcare. Offer to do transportation. Um, if you have a, a spare room, offer for housing. There's so many different ways that we can come together as a community. Um, to offer support. If you're a social worker, offer some of your services on the weekends um, that we can have uh, um, professionals and people that are not uh, that are not FIP or formerly incarcerated that can, you know, join the movement and help. There's so many different ways. And, you know, finally, Kiana, can you just talk to me a little bit more about your organization, um, Life After Release? Um, you know, what, what do you all do? And you, and you know, spoiler alert, they do an amazing um, job what they do. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So Life After Release is an organization that is based in Prince George's County, Maryland. Uh, we are, um, basically our mission is to find comprehensive reentry options for women, um, for women who are returning back home from jail and prison with a concentration of, of, of black, black, black women, um, black women and girls. So in doing that, we also provide advocacy, which means that we show uh, the women how to advocate for themselves. And we also have two um, very strong programs right now, a court watching program and a participatory defense program in which we use to hold our district attorney accountable. Um, So with that being said, um, we uh, we also do Mother's Day's bailout every year with MBO, National Bailout. And this year, we are on track to open up um, a, a transitional or a rapid rehousing um, center oh. for women. Yes. So we are on track to do that. It's a um, four-bedroom four um, home that we're on track to open it up um, to have some type of rapid housing, ha- rapid response housing. So again, um, if you want, if someone wants, is listening and wants to donate to that cause in any capacity, whether it be hygiene products, um, laundry detergent, furniture, um, anything, that that center will be opening probably at the end of May, at the end of April, beginning of May. April 2020, people need to look out. Yep. Well, Kiana, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for really. No this was a really illuminating conversation. I hope our listeners will, you know, learn a lot and also will be able to support organizations like yourself um, and, you know, Alpha Justice and the Maryland Justice Project. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thinking Freely. If you like Thinking Freely, make sure to leave a review and subscribe to us from wherever you get your podcasts. Please support organizations led by directly impacted people like the Maryland Justice Project, led by Monica Cooper, Alpha Justice, led by Nicole Hansen, and Life After Release, led by Kiana Johnson. They are the true leaders in this work. This show was recorded at Tuck Media in Baltimore, Maryland, and was recorded on Piscataway Native American land. I'm Amber Taylor, the host and producer of Thinking Freely. Till next time.